I am vengeance. I am the night. I am also a podcast. I am a podcast. 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 Oh! It's a show. It's a show. Audio only, though. What is it about? If you have time, I can tell you that it is a podcast about that many Batman podcasts. Uh, what did you want me to say in this part? It's a show! Yeah. Yeah! <laughs> I am a podcast. Whoa! Hey! with fans and people, people who Welcome to Batman the Animated Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Michael, and you're listening to an audio variety show for your ears based on the legendary 1990s cartoon Batman the Animated Series. Today's sponsor, Bulk Pith Helmets. Why buy one when you can save on 400? Perfect for your culturally problematic fundraisers. Today's episode, The Worry Men. Gotham's favorite self-absorbed socialite, Veronica Vreeland, returns from a trip to Central America and she brings back tiny handmade dolls for all of her rich friends. But unknown to the one percenters, each doll contains a microchip used to plant hypnotic suggestions meant to extort their money for the Mad Hatter's island retirement. Original air date, September 16th, 1993. Written by Paul Dini. Directed by Frank Parr. Music composed by Lolita Ritmanis with animation by Dong Yang. Starring Kevin Conroy as Batman, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. as Alfred, LeVar Burton as Hayden Sloan, Bruce Wayne's friend for only this episode, I guess, Mary Lou Henner as Veronica Vreeland, Roddy McDowell as the Mad Hatter, and Roger Rose as Jaguar Shaman. Today's guest, Alex Horeb. I see Alex every day because we work together on Cartoon Network's upcoming show, Infinity Train, but also, one of the first things we bonded over was a deep love and appreciation for Batman the Animated Series. So, it was a real treat to finally have him get behind a microphone and be a guest on the podcast. So, without further ado, please enjoy Alex Horeb. doing it i'm sitting down with alex horeb we've known each other for the last almost two years at this point close to two years yeah we write on cartoon network's infinity train together we see each other a lot we talk about batman a lot but this is the first recorded instance of us talking about batman i think i it was the first thing that i mentioned when i met you on the couch waiting was i i knew that you were a batman uh fan and i had actually listened to this podcast years ago that's wild some app like a rant like because i used to just have a big uh, backlog of podcasts um and yeah this was one because i i was a fan of batman the Animated series and i wanted to listen to people talk about it when we talked about batman initially one of the first things that came up was that you love the mad hatter yes i do i love the mad hatter and particularly is it this version of the Mad Hatter or across all mediums, all Batman shows? I enjoy many versions of the Mad Hatter. I think this version is my favorite. 
specifically, I, I really like the um, Batman anime series design. The the new adventures design, I understand and I respect, but I like this design a lot. And I think it came about because uh, when people turn, I, I think it's probably the case for kids today, when you turn 15, it's the first time you start getting nostalgic for things. And it's the first time I remember being nostalgic for Batman because I watched it when I was much younger. And at that time, uh, you couldn't, the YouTube didn't exist. You couldn't stream it. This was just before the DVDs came out. And so I had to go on file sharing sites and find whatever episodes some, you know, nice person happened to upload. And one of the earliest ones that I downloaded was Mad as a Hatter because I had some memories of it as a kid. And then I watched it. And I, I assume it's a thought that many people have uh, when they revisit Batman if they watch it as a kid. It's like, wow, this is really because there are different some shows I watched that I as a kid and I watch it. And I'm like, oh, I probably uh. <laughs> this right, they don't hold up for an adult as well. Whereas this one, I was like, wow. And the Mad Hatter, the Mad as a Hatter was, you know, especially being younger. It was one of my first exposures to that. That walking that fine line between you are you know they did it with mr freeze uh but you know with i guess mr freeze is almost more sympathetic definitely mr freeze is devoted to his wife and will do anything to save her life whereas the mad hatter is a creep who's stalking a woman who he did not have a romantic relationship with yeah i guess yeah with mr freeze you do you understand it more in the sense of like you were put in a no-win situation yes whereas jervis tetch is I you think that you're the good guy. I understand and see how sort of broken you are. And you think that it's the world against you, but you are still wrong. Yes. You're, you're still doing something that you're not supposed to be doing. And specifically in that first episode, it really straddled that line between like, Oh, look it, he's the loser. He's being bullied by his boss. Uh-huh. And you see these weird rules that he puts on himself, like, oh, I don't want to brainwash Alice because I don't want it that way. But then he, he still does it though. Right. He's like, I don't want it that way until I do. And then he and that's and that's that sort of comp and then that, you know, just seeing his, you know, sadness and brokenness at it, it it hits that really weird spot that I love where he is not a supervillain that's trying to take over the world, nor is he completely understandable. I, I, I actually secretly root for him because I want him to win. It's just like, oh, no, you're you're wrong and you're broken, but I kind of relate. And also the fact that in this one he pushes it a bit, but his crimes are so different and small, and that's what I like. It, it creates a really good scale. Yeah, he feels low stakes, but not in a bad way. Yeah. I always think that that's a problem uh, in certain superhero uh, you know, comics or shows when every villain always has a end of the city, end of the world, crazy power grab. But if you look at his episodes, in the first one, he wants to impress a girl, and then he brainwashes some people, and he says to jump off a bridge. But that's like, re- like, to him, all he really wanted was this girl to notice him, and he was a huge creep about it. And then in the, uh, is, is this one before Perchance to Dream or after? Uh, this is after. In Perchance to Dream, again, he kind of puts himself where he thinks he's doing the right thing. 
but he also kind of knows that it's not right, but he's just like, I'm willing to give you any life you want as long as you stay out of mine. Right, he'll justify it later, uh, the means to an end. He, he never wants to do the work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like with that one, he wasn't getting rid of Batman to be like, ah, I finally got rid of him and now I'll take over. He was like, I just don't want to have to see you anymore. So he has all these ones that are just much lower stakes, and I think that that fleshes out the world a lot more and then in this one he's getting a lot of money so i mean it is it's a lot bigger but he's still fleecing rich people yes so that he can just go off on an island and be away from everyone else he wants to open a sunbonnet store (laughs) ultimately (laughs) and he wants to do it on an island i mean i don't know how serious he is or if that's just like the idea is that he wants to you know retire and have the happiest carefree life possible and in his mind that image is a sunbonnet store yeah and that's a line that i'd written down from from later in the episode when he talks about this is my retirement from crime um i both believe and don't believe that i believe that he believes that he's retiring from crime until something happens that he will go back to his ways of crime to get out of it sure yeah, to take the easy way out yeah, I think that it w- that's what Hatter is all about. It's the easy way out, uh, and he's manipulative. <laughs> and that's I just I think that's so fascinating, and even like and there's so many things about it that are just all, in his his the costume that he wears. Going back to the first episode, he thinks he looks good in this. That's what he picked to impress someone, and I think there's something so fascinating about that when you compare with some of the other villains that are trying to intimidate or be a big thing. This was his formal wear, and he just stuck with it. Yeah. This is where he feels confident. Yeah. And in this episode specifically, it seems like he's sort of, I guess he's embracing the villainy a little more. And that's another thing that's interesting about this episode is it sort of brings in a lot more of other Hatter from other series. And what I mean by that is in the it was so heavily focused on mind control in the first ones and it was so heavily focused on the alice in wonderland references but this one he put more focus on wanting to get batman's cowl he had the big collection of hats which is like classic from like the 60s -hmm. and he had the spring-loaded gun coming from his hat which was really old school mad hatter stuff and i felt like it was sort of bridging the worlds between the mad hatter that we saw in the animated series versus what we saw in the comics previously uh like the much older comics i think like the 60s i guess that was that was that the fake jervis touch too because i'm not sure i don't have a a huge breadth of knowledge on mad hatter history i should have done any sort of research but all i did was watch (laughs) this episode i i think and i could be wrong and if people are listening they could probably correct it but if i'm not mistaken they he was introduced at one point and then he kind of disappeared and then he came back and he looked a little different like with a mustache Uh and he acted a little differently and whether or not they were attending this or not when they first started it, he came back and was like, that's the imposter hatter. I'm the real hatter. And then they sort of had two hatters, and then he, they got rid of the one. And then he sort of went back to his creepy mind control, poisoned tea, electronic sort of things. Yeah. But for a long time, he was goofy, I collect hats, well, mustache I, guy. This whole episode feels like a lighter lighter fare across the board it feels like paul dini is having fun <laughs> yeah definitely there's definitely uh, some silliness 
Uh, I mean, going back to the very first shot, I guess we could. Yeah, let's go through it, top to bottom. The first thing we see is Veronica. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, something that I I like in this one is we see Bruce with other rich people. Because very often we see the Bruce Wayne reluctantly being rich. We see the Bruce Wayne throwing around his money uh, to get things done because he's the biggest, most powerful one. But this puts him in a scenario where he's surrounded by effectively his peers. Mm-hmm. And he kind of is both comfortable and uncomfortable in this scenario. He knows these people. He's dealt with these people. He doesn't necessarily like it. But even then, he says, oh, I'm glad to see Veronica's doing something with her money. These are kind of his peers. And I think that adds a dimension to Bruce Wayne that we don't always see. Well, and it shows how isolated he actually is in his alter ego. I mean, Batman is where he sits comfortably, and if he really were to hang out with these people as friends, he has nothing to connect with them over. (laughs) Yeah, totally. But he still goes here. He still puts on the tuxedo. He still hangs out with the rich people. And he's kind of buying into Veronica. He's not just, you know, shutting her down, being like, oh, what an idiot. He's kind of like, hey, she's doing something good with her money. She's trying out. I'm, I'm happy for her. And I just think that that's something that we don't always get to see. With We see Bruce Wayne as the power executive investor. We see Bruce Wayne saying he hates all that and just wants to be Batman. But this is one where he's with other socialites, and I think it's I think it's interesting. Yeah, I love this whole opening sequence, this whole set piece. I mean, the first shot is Veronica in a pith helmet, kind of like your classic adventurer gear, pulpy adventurer gear parting these jungly leaves and she's like hello everybody i'm home and then it turns out they're at a big fancy rich person party where everybody dresses up in costume in pith helmets which is what a dream yes and the pith helmet is something that i i never noticed until i rewatched it this time it's been a while since i i think i last watched it when i bought the dvds when they came out always slips through the cracks for me i don't know why this the worry men is never an episode that i immediately think of but every time i watch it i'm like oh this is a good time it's there's a lot of fun things in there but it's sort of um the pace is sort of weird it has a certain pace for the first half of it and then it switches into a second gear once the hat is revealed Well, because there is that turn i mean i think for most adults when you watch it there's a certain point where you're like oh yes this is mad hatter but even as an adult it does feel like kind of like a could be it could be a craven the hunter style villain in the beginning uh, when you don't know that people are being hypnotized. Uh, it, it's real interesting. I think that there is a villain in Batman Beyond that has an aesthetic. The stalker. The star that has that sort of thing. And and I think that's what happened is, I mean, when I watched this one, I knew it was going to be a Mad Hatter sure. one. But I think when I watched it on TV initially, uh, or even when I re-rented, you know, when I bought the DVDs and watched it, I didn't immediately know it was a Mad Hatter episode. No, they didn't use the musical cue in the uh, title card, which usually even, like, I think perchance to dream, they do use Hatter's theme. And so if you're a fan of the show, then you're like, okay, this is going to be a Hatter thing. This one, it's very kind of like jungly uh, sounds. I mean, I I love the title card, too. The font is great. Yeah. The big kind of tribal mask. And it's that's not something that you would associate with the Hatter immediately. But knowing that it's a Hatter episode, I was keeping eye on things. And you notice that the people that he's being hypnotized are wearing hats, Mm -hmm. even if they it was the hat wasn't controlling. I didn't even think about that. Veronica's wearing the pith helmet. When we first see Bruce Wayne walk in, he's wearing his, uh, you know, 50s fancy boy hat. Uh, And that to me, that just sort of read like, oh, this is. 
the Hatter just putting his flavor on it, even if he doesn't necessarily realize it because he's so focused on hats, yeah, he has to put the subliminal message in there. Thematically, he's got them all. Anybody wearing a hat at that party, he's got them in the palm of his hand. Yeah, and th- that was something that I, I have to imagine it was, in, you know, the pith helmet was just like, oh, that's a fun touch. But then you don't always see Bruce in the hat. And the fact that Bruce was also wearing the hat when he was mind-controlled, but at no point other than that, even in the Bruce Wayne, uh, that was just a fun touch that I didn't even think about uh, until I watched it this time. Yeah, I, I really love, I mean, I love costume changes. I think now that working on a show regularly, rewatching these episodes feels insane because I'm like, oh, people had to design every one of these characters and they had to all wear these hats. I mean, the, later it feels like they just kind of duplicate design. Like the three henchmen are wearing the same thing. Oh, and yeah. when they remove their masks, they have the same face, which yeah. is actually pretty rare for this show. Uh, but I was like, God, crowd scenes are hard. This show had a lot of crowd scenes. Yes. There was a lot of things where I'm like, wow, you designed a whole lot for only using very briefly. Yes. These characters never show. I mean, there's never pith helmet rich people in the show again. (laughs) It was just for one 22 minute episode. I also, the the opening scene, it reminded me a little bit of uh, Batman and Robin, the, uh, the auction scene. With the, the sexy the Batman and Robin, yeah, with the sexy uh, gorilla dance, yeah, just yes. just all the rich people doing the pageantry, uh, and I guess that's another theme that sort of is is present in this one is the the disconnected rich people of Gotham. I was gonna say, I think that's what struck me watching it as an adult versus watching it as a kid is how much it's it's just ripping into disconnected rich people. And, and it's one of those things when you hear the theme is Mayan soldiers and they're dressed up and they have the spears, you can worry that it could get to some uncomfortable jokes. Right, or is this going to be problematic in 2018? But the real villain is cultural appropriation. The, the joke of it is that, oh, these are all, this is what, you know, these rich Gotham uh, white people think right. is happening. And that's why they're so able to be fleeced. Uh, and a little bit later on she mentions uh when bruce is asking her where do you got these and he's like oh i bought it from a man whatever and he goes oh was it an englishman he goes oh yeah how it knows but there's the underlying thing of she went to go buy these special traditional <laughs> mayan things from an englishman yes and it it struck no uh curiosity to her yes she's just like of course an englishman is selling these tiny worry dolls i trust him more than i trust somebody who lives in that country because i'm a horrible rich person <laughs> it, like it's it's bananas and the fact that all of these rich people are losing their money but bruce wayne lost 12 million dollars in a briefcase which is crazy but i'll figure that maybe there's cashier's checks or something in there the amount of upset that he was didn't seem proportionate to losing $12 million. He was he was like, wait, what? <laughs> he was mad, but I, I don't think $12 million. He was mad in the way if I had $200 in my wallet and I lost it. I'd be like, oh, $200, oh no. But it was $12 million. And that also puts a weird spin on it of like, it makes the Mad Hatter's crimes not seem as <laughs> He's not going after poor people, he, he, although I guess later on he does have one line that sort of 
Well, yeah, I think betrays that, that. That's what I think is interesting is that he's using these wealthy people's assumptions about quote unquote native people to you know fleece them of money. But then at the end of the day, he's still using people <laughs> in the same way, and is just kind of seeing them as tools and not as people. <laughs> uh, he's seeing them as I believe the quote was gutter trash. Yes, truly Oof. monstrous, racist piece of shit. <laughs> but. He's a bad guy. <laughs> yeah, he, he's a bad guy. But yeah, all these rich people, the people that he's taking money from, it's on the news. But they're treated as sort of like this is in, this is not bankrupting them. This is just like, oh no, my twelve million dollars in a suitcase. Uh, and it's just it's an interesting. It's hard to feel completely bad when the victims are all the one percent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was just it was it was really interesting that that that's that's the path that they decided to go with and. I, I think it goes a bit into the, the Hatter's justification or the self-justification that he always does, which is, oh, I'm taking from these rich people. It's okay. It's okay that I'm taking their money. Right. I can do the bad thing because I can justify a little bit of it. They've done bad things to me all the time. The company that I was in treated me poorly. They're not going to miss it. It's fine. And then I'm going to leave them on my island with my sunbonnet shop, <laughs> and it's going to be fine. Uh I, I do love Veronica had a line before we move on from that opening scene that I think is perfect and I just didn't get as a kid. But she she walks out there like, how was it? And she's like, the food was appalling. <laughs> uh, oh, God, I can't read my own writing. I know the punch. I know the last line of it. The something was non-existent and the bugs were the size of my trust fund. <laughs> I got a I got a genuine chuckle out of it uh, because that's the perfect joke that you hear you know a stock joke for a party of people that are not friends but are friendly with each other and also just people who go to another country and all they do is complain about how different it was yeah just like go to hell (laughs) yeah Uh, but she came back uh the expert of of this country that's true she learned what a worry doll was and then she spread it around. <laughs> and she shared everyone the worry dolls, uh, the very brief. And I believe when I first watched this, I ended up looking up that to see. And, yeah, you know, there's there's basis for yeah, it. Yeah, they do exist, for sure. And uh, so that's, yeah. I, I thought it was interesting. LeVar Burton plays a, a one-time one character, Hayden Sloan, the securities guy who is kind of at the bar talking to Bruce Wayne originally. And then he gets, you know pinned for embezzling later and he's like i didn't do it that was lavar burton oh he was he was the first guy that was given the, he was sort of the prompt for her to give him the the worry doll exactly oh, i didn't know that was lavar burton yeah it felt kind of like a waste of lavar burton yeah he could have been directing smart house during that time <laughs> i mean i he was juggling a lot <laughs> <laughs> we'll say that for the smart cast uh smart house podcast only <laughs> Uh, afterwards, after that whole scene, we end up seeing, we kind of tilt up to reveal that there's this, you know, like Aztec warrior costumed bad guy and Batman has a rooftop battle with him. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty fun. Batman's actually pretty competent. He, he deflects a lot of the, the attacks at first. It was, it was a fight that I was not necessarily expecting because he did, this was someone that we had never seen prior to this episode and aren't going to see any further of. He's a mind-washed, you know, henchman. But Batman deflected some things, but then the like the bouncing ball got he him did from get behind hit by a big ball, <laughs> and it was just I I could only place it on the idea of like this was a fighting style that he was not 
used to. But it also makes me question, where did this... Because we learn later in the episode, these were just Gotham like street gangs. I did have some questions, especially because I think that henchman was supposed to be the doll maker, like the main. Oh, was that the, the doll maker? Maybe I'm I'm mistaken, but I think at the end they have to pay for Bruce Wayne ends up paying for the flight of the kidnapped doll maker to send him home, and okay. he's the one that's like, no, wait for the police, and then the pop out gun moment yeah. happens. So I think the main guy. The main, you know, brainwashed bad guy is the doll maker, which oh. is such a complicated version of the plan. Because had it really, you couldn't hire somebody to make worry dolls. Like you can get the idea while you're there. You can trick Veronica Vreeland. You don't need to bring this guy back. It it seemed like a weird attention to detail that the Hatter wanted to have authentic worry dolls for him to put his circuits in. Yes, we'll say that it was an attention to detail. <laughs> I think it was because the the final the final shot of the episode is why they wanted to do that. Yes, there is a theatricality to him that I think would justify him. I mean, he he's in a theater with a bunch of villain costumes and decorated mm. with hats and an elevator chair. I mean, it's far wackier than a lot of the other Batman episodes, but Boy, oh boy, do I love it. Uh, one thing that they did not have in this episode that I um, I think is one of my favorite part about Hatter episodes, and in, they do it a lot in the comics, is because Hatter is using brainwashed people to fight Batman, Batman has to fight them differently because these are innocent people. It was played a lot in the first episode. It's been played a lot in the comics of here are these people that are trying to swing axes at Batman or chains or whatever. And Batman doesn't want to just knock them out because if he breaks their nose, as soon as the mind control wakes up, here's an innocent person with a broken nose. And I always thought that that was a very interesting thing because it forced Batman to fight differently. But because it's not revealed for so long, all of his fights are just like any other fights with villains. Right, at least in the beginning. And then once he does figure it out, he's like, oh, I'll just disrupt the signal. <laughs> yeah. Which I understand not wanting to repeat what you've done in other episodes, but uh, it is such a fun thing to see him have to avoid doing that sort of stuff, changing up his fighting style. I don't know if there's a way that you could have done that to work with the way the episode was written. I, I think it was an understandable change, but it is something that I've always liked about Hatter ones is that Hatter is so uh, selfish mm -hmm. that the way that he chooses to fight is not only is someone else fighting my battle, I'm making you fight someone that you don't want to fight. So you can't even... It, it's as uneven as a playing field as I can make without being physically stronger than you. Yeah. Uh, and that's something that, again, there's no way they could have done it with the way the episode was set up. But it's something that I've always liked in Hatter episodes. Well, moving on from his rooftop fight, we do get that huge mask swinging through and crushing half the party, too, which I loved. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. that shot of, like, people walking in a hallway and then it smashes through in the foreground and the guy's just, you know, jumping in the woman's arms. That was a, that was a lot of stuff that was being destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> very quick and it looks great but yeah now that we've worked in some of the stuff and we're realizing some of the limitations it's yeah like, wow. every angle every prop that has to be designed uh it, it's all beautiful too veronica vreeland not terribly upset about everything being destroyed she just kind of looks around and is like oh <laughs> she's got so many pith helmets she's got she's brief <laughs> yeah briefcases and pith helmets <laughs> for days uh let's see after that we we get to Oh, we see that that kind of that guy, the native craftsman, hanging upside down under a gargoyle. Again, I'm I'm trying to figure out like how. D I mean, I think it's just a plot hole uh, of like how how does he know how to hang upside down 
underneath a gargoyle. <laughs> yeah, because if, if, if this is the craftsman, he's presumably a craftsman. And so, like, in the earlier ones, he took on, you know, and, and even the other people in this episode are uh, street gangs. So right. they presumably know how to fight. The Mad Hatter's mind control questionably gives him skills that I don't know if he would he would be able to have if he was just I a would buy like increased strength or like based off of almost not having any sort of uh you're not pulling your punches like if you're being brainwashed you're just going uh, you know you have one command word and it's punch and you're giving it the biggest punch uh but I think we're just gonna have to chalk it up to it's more fun this way <laughs> does that translate to acrobatics and swinging upside down but yeah it's it's one of the things you want to do if you want to have cool visuals yeah why not then Alfred, you know, is hanging out with Batman. He puts he puts the worry doll under Bruce's pillow. Now, this is actually something that I am okay with. Uh, I, I, I looked at that and I thought, do I like this? Would Alfred just do this? And then I started thinking about it and mulling it over, and I was like, we needed to get this doll underneath uh, Batman's pillow. In no world do I see Bruce Wayne putting this worry doll under his pillow. Alfred is a little bit more laid back, and I could see him doing it as a joke. He's a father figure too. I I can see like he's like you're very stressed. I'm gonna put. I I bought it, and it's also one of those things where, unlike other things like drink this miracle cure, it's a very tiny doll. Uh, I I would not have had any suspicions with it. So I actually thought that this was a great way of getting the worried doll under his pillow without having to, you know, rationalize why Batman would do this. Right. And then, of course, it backfires because, as we talked about, that briefcase full of money. We meet Dana, the secretary, who I, I don't believe we've ever seen any other time in the series. Yeah, I don't remember her at all. But sure. I, I would have loved to have seen that character recur. Uh, yeah, it was it, like a secretary to Bruce Wayne could have been interesting. And Batman the Animated Series was not afraid to introduce new characters. No, we saw Mayor Hamilton Hill and uh, all the cop. Like we saw Renee Montoya, so many different people. So it was interesting. It was like, well, we wrote in these uh, characters, and we're never going to see them again. But it also does make the world feel more lived in. Yeah, you know, I think the first the the first big party really showed that with her. I this is only speculation. I wonder if it's like you know, well, we would have loved to see a secretary. To see her more would have required Bruce Wayne to be at Wayne Corp more often. Mm-hmm. Or Wayne Tech? Wayne Tech, I Wayne think. Wayne Tech. Um, or maybe Wayne Corp. Maybe, they're both, maybe they both exist and one is the technical arm. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I imagine uh, in the series, the only time we ever see him there is if he's making supervillains there <laughs> by accident. And we don't see him there on day-to-day stuff. So maybe that's why. I think this was later in the series, too. So there were fewer, like, Bruce Wayne stories. I think it, you know, earlier on you'd sort of see him at work and, and then sort of the, that transition to Batman. Or, like, Heart of Steel, there's so much, you know, that, that Hard Act episode with all the duplicates. Yeah. We saw his work life a lot. And it all centered around, like, you know, Wayne's materials being stolen but i think here and it was yeah actually that's another th- uh going back to the the first hatter episode one of my favorite parts about that is the fact that we follow jervis tetch forever and then bruce wayne comes in as like a secondary character you know in jervis tetch's mind that this is his high up boss that he never gets to see and it was framed that way and i thought that was really cool uh and so i i, I imagine they just didn't want to have 
I could see them in a world in the 90s where they're like, this is a kid's cartoon. How much time do we want to spend in an office? Oh, I'm sure. I love that, but I could see them having problems with that. Tommy guns are okay. Shooting people <laughs> with real things. We don't want to see too many but office work, that's boring. <laughs> well, eventually from there we get to Bruce or Batman confronting a hypnotized Breland. She's going to throw all of her jewels into the ocean, uh, or seemingly into the ocean, but into a boat full of brainwashed Aztec warriors yeah. or people dressed like that. Uh, he stops her, and that's where he kind of figures, he puts two and two together that it's Hatter, basically. Like, where did you get these? I got it from this curious man. That's, uh, you know, that's that's good, solid uh, Batman reasoning. Yeah. Here's a guy, I'm dealing with people who seem to be brainwashed. Who do I know that brainwashes people? Totally make th- that... Logic, I think, checks out very well. Oh, yeah, and they only have so much time. This isn't like a huge detective uncover the mystery story because there's so many set pieces. Honestly, how they crammed all of that into 22 minutes, I say this a lot, but it's it's kind of crazy. <laughs> and Hatter wasn't – he wasn't being careful. Nope. He, you know, he put microchips in these worry dolls that you could snap open immediately. He had his victims wearing hats when they were doing all the stuff. He was relying on the fact that people were brainwashed, not being sneaky. So, yeah, him him putting it together, I thought was a really good, uh, a really good way to get exactly to where we needed to go, and it didn't feel like a weird cheat of you know him piecing to something that he could never know. We're dealing with brainwashing. Obviously, it's the Hatter. Let's think about that. I did want to say one thing that uh, one of Veronica's lines that I love. She had a couple good lines on that boat. She's fight. funny. One of them was. Uh, like, leave him alone, you swine, please. <laughs> was a pretty funny delivery. And then my therapist is never going to believe this. You live in Gotham. Your therapist probably is, has been mugged by at least some sort of costumed villain. Your therapist probably uh, did college studies at Arkham. <laughs> yeah, your your therapist <laughs> is Harley Quinn. <laughs> uh, but but she yeah, was no, funny. Sh- she got some good stuff. I think that as a kid I didn't appreciate her. And then as an adult, it's like, wow, this is a funny character. She's getting some funny lines. She is, you know, spacey. Uh, she's self-absorbed. But she's not strictly – she's not played strictly as a villain like, oh, this rich person doesn't no. do it. She's just entitled and is so blind to everything that's going around her that it, it gets, she gets funny lines. So we get to the theater. We get to Hatter in his abandoned The Eastern Theater, I think, or something like that. Uh, surrounded by costumes of a bunch of supervillains, a bunch of hats above him, a pointy throne, a guillotine, an Iron Maiden. Oh, yeah. Everything. I love it. I love the set. <laughs> I think that this is this is Hatter going full villain. Yes. Up until this point, he had these small little things. He's working out of the house. This is one where he's going full theatrical. Oh, yeah. Uh, he also, small detail, I like that he noticed... Uh, that the the his costume was ripped. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, he's a smart villain. That's his strength, and he noticed immediately. Oh, part of your costume is ripped. Yeah, god, god damn it! You, you, he's gonna come and track us. We rarely get to see the villain actually plan for Batman to be there. If Batman shows up, it's like, oh, the trap has already been set, or somebody's like, ha ha, <laughs> you'll have to make it through my death trap. But in this case, he was like, well, we'll have to leave a surprise for him. It was he had a plan to steal the money and run. Oh no, this was ripped by Batman. What does Batman do in every incarnation for the past hundred years? If he has a piece of ripped cloth, he's going to be able to find out where it's from. 
change of plans, let's bust him. Yep. Uh, and, and I love it. We got truly maybe the most over-the-top hatter, just a huge maniacal laugh. To, uh, uh, huge maniacal laugh as it fades to an act break. <laughs> oh, yeah. Also, this is – I don't know if um, – the, the, the blondness of his hair, does it change from episode to episode? Because some episodes I remember it being almost white. But this one, it seems very bright. Now, I'm colorblind, but yellow shouldn't really be affected by that. Uh, this episode, it seemed really me. yellow. Maybe it was different. It looked about the same. Maybe it was a little lighter in the first one. Mm. Uh, but I don't have a strong memory of it. Yeah. It's very possible. Well, we'll never find out. Cause <laughs> <laughs> nope. I can check. Uh, but yeah, it's. But you are right. The the having Having him in a costume shop is just fantastic. And then when Batman comes in... And the puppets come out. Oh. I remember this scene from when I was a kid and how cool it was to see the villains in their puppet form. Yes. Uh, first one is uh, Penguin coming out with, with his sword umbrella. And the design is like, a, it's not strictly the penguin from the animated series. It looks sort of like an amalgamation of a bunch of penguins that we've seen. And just the super simplified shapes. Yeah, they're all kind of like wooden dolls. Even when he like tries to uncover, when Batman first walks in, it looks like Hatter is kind of slumped down. But you know, if you're not seeing a villain's face and it's in shadow, it's a dummy or a robot. Oh yeah. But it, you know, he kind of pulls it up, and it's like we get a little bit of that creepy horror movie doll factory vibe as well. And it not only are they cool set pieces, it plays directly into how Hatter uses people as puppets. Mm-hmm. Perfect symbolism. Uh, great oh, Adini. Oh, and then oh, we got to have him uh, even doing bits as the uh, the villains too. Because when the Riddler comes out, he goes, "What does Batman have in common with the donut shop? They're both full of holes." I love it. It's not even a riddle, but this is what the Mad Hatter views the Riddler as. Yes. Awesome. Also, there are a lot of robots with guns in Gotham. I know that <laughs> you you can get a couple Jokers in Christmas with the Joker, and I think Mad Love. It's pretty easy to get replicas of Gotham villains as a robot. <laughs> oh yeah, and then the uh, uh, the puppet Harley Quinn that was like a marionette. Very cool. That struck in my head a lot, specifically just the motion of the the way the knife went down to stab into his cape. Beautifully animated and and the shot of it coming down to like the light was switched to red. I loved how theatrical and deliberately theatrical all of this was. And making her a marionette just made it it was a different type of puppet. She moved differently. It was fun. And then we got to the only puppet that I have questions about, which is the Jack of the Box Joker. You mean the giant head that somehow is able to balance and choose when it smashes somebody? All the other ones up until this point had very simple, you know, the penguin went forward to stab. The Riddler went forward just spraying bullets. Harley Quinn got a little bit elaborate. Right. You could imagine there was a mechanical system that was kind of like he was controlling. Yeah, it was a little elaborate. But then the Joker one, I, I guess we're to believe it's a robot. But it, its movements were very fluid and cartoony. That I think it looked a little bit off compared to all the other ones. Yeah. I think this is another, it's just fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I did love that when he finally confronted Tetch and he found, he's like, you disappoint me, Tetch, just another thief. I love that uh, he was like, you make it sound so common. <laughs> and he had, it was this weird, you make it sound so common. Yeah. And that was a, a great thing within him. And it's, it's all those small lines that make me really like the Hatter. Roddy McDowell is so good. Oh. Hell of a Hatter. The way he puts in 
craziness and sweetness and sadness in so many of these lines. And the way he says, yo, you make it sound so common, he views himself as above the people that he is mind warping these gang members. Yep. He's stealing just like presumably they stole on the gangs, but he's putting himself on a different level. And so the way you make it sound so common, it's the disgust for the people that he's controlling. And at the way he's, he's, he's still separating himself from all these other ones. I know that I'm doing this. He's admitting that he's a criminal, but he still puts himself on a different level than the rest of them. I thought that's just, it's fantastic. Yeah. He's got a superiority complex for sure, but it's different than the Riddler. Yeah, well, because it's 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 a it's a superiority complex mixed with an inferiority complex because you see how pathetic he is in all these early ones and how easily he folds and all this stuff. And there was sort of this switch in him where he's just like, no, actually, I am better. The world has been out to get me. They've been treating me bad. This is how I even the playing field. Yeah, I'm smarter than them. I'm going to use them because it's the way that I do it to get what I want because I truly deserve this. And I'm only being a criminal long enough to get the thing that I deserve, which is my own island. And then I'm going to leave everyone alone. If everyone would just give me a hundred million dollars, <laughs> I would leave them alone. Why don't they understand that? And then maybe, Oh, well, I want another island. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that he would live the life and then something bad would happen. And then he'd go right back to it. And that's that weird sort of broken thing in there that I, I love with the level of the Hatter. I don't want the Hatter taking over Gotham and ruling it as a king. I don't want the Hatter trying to poison the world to, to enslave them all. He wants an island, which is a crazy thing to want, but he wants it to get away from everyone else and not have to look at them. Yes. Uh, and that's it's it's such good scale. I think we get we get his flashback after that, uh, where we see his very cool glasses. What was going on with his costume? I don't know. I mean, I, he was just like, Island Time Hatter. <laughs> <laughs> I want that action figure. It's, it seemed like one of those things where he thought, he, again, I think he thought that he looked good, and he thought that th this is how someone would dress selling these things. This makes sense. Yeah. I bought it. I bought that he would believe that. Oh, that's another thing to, to briefly mention. Uh, he talks about how he got let out of Arkham. This is one of the... the few times that they specifically mention why a character is no longer in Arkham right when they would have been in Arkham previously and I almost believe it for him because of the levels of crime that he had and trying to try it yeah someone like the Joker if he's like I got out of Arkham everyone would be like what are you talking who'd about? you murder what are you talking about of Nobody course you didn't you get out, out of Arkham <laughs> you obviously didn't but Mad Hatter like in the first Two episodes that we have, imagine going to a jury and, like, what crimes are you going to do with it? Mind control? What did he do with it? Well, he went on a date, and he punched Batman well, we with all it? know how the legal system deals with, uh, you know, toxic, shitty men. They just kind of let them do their thing. <laughs> yeah, and so I could almost believe that he did his stint in Arkham and was just like, hey, I'm done with the mind control. I've, I've reformed. I didn't kill anyone. I wasn't holding, I wasn't shooting anyone. I just did, I did creepy, creepy stuff. But, but can what's you prosecute creepy, your honor? But what's the law and the thing that says I can't put in mind control cards into someone's head? All right, I we'll adjust the laws. The bylaws of Gotham will be adjusted. So that's one of the few times I could almost see Arkham 
with the way that Gotham City is and the other levels of criminals that they have being like, I guess this one can get out of Arkham. Yeah, we got a guy who can shapeshift into anything. We got to clear some space. We got to clear sp- There's all sorts of crazy things going on here. There's, yeah. Look at this. This is a half crocodile man. <laughs> we can't let him. What do we do? We need to sink a lot of money into the habitat for him. <laughs> so that's that's one of the few times where I'm like, yeah, okay, I could see it. Now, after this one, because we're stealing rich people's money, he's going to go to wait for jail for a long time. Now it's going to get their attention. Yeah, yeah. When you when you <laughs> mess with the rich, then the law is like, uh-uh-uh. <laughs> oh, you stole rich people's money now? Now you're going to jail for a long time in Arkham. <laughs> Uh, and so he gets to, he wants Batman's mask as a souvenir, which is just such a fun, classic, old school villainy thing. That's old school Hatter, too, because Hatter loves hats. Batman has a cowl, which is just a face hat, and so he wants it for his trophy. I wish they called Batman's cowl his face hat. It's one of the, <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, if we're basing him on Alice in Wonderland type stuff, uh, we're going to need to have some Alice in Wonderland quotes in there. Off with his head is classic. Does Batman have a hat? Kinda. It seemed like one of those ones where, like, we all want him to quote Alice in Wonderland and try to cut off Batman's head or get his cowl. Right, we want to do the fun thing. We'll accept it as a hat, as a thing that he wants to do. And because he's such a weirdo, it makes sense in his trophy collection. And he was just, I love, you know, creepily quoting Jabberwocky while we see the Hatter silhouetted pulling up the guillotine. I mean, it was beautiful and it's it's that's a line that i i remembered uh at at the time when i was rewatching these way back in high school um i was going through a uh reading a bunch of classic children's stories and i'm a fan of the young child and fantastical worlds uh phantom tollbooth the wizard of oz book series and alice in wonderland and so when he was quoting the jabberwocky thing i was right there i i had just read it not too long ago and so the through and through the vorpal blade went snickersnack. It's like, oh. It's very satisfying. That's satisfying. And that, I think, is the perfect level of Alice in Wonderland. Because there are some writers in the comics with, with Mad Hatter where he only speaks in Alice in Wonderland quotes. And that's the only thing he does. I mean, he still does the creep of mind control, but he's like, oh, he's so warped. He, his mind's in the book. And I don't like that aspect. I think it's It becomes it, a chore to read. Yeah. It, it becomes not fun. It makes him seem like less of a character, and I think it reduces him to be like, oh, his mind was lost in the book. Whereas in this version, it's clear that he likes Alice in Wonderland. It's clearly influenced him a lot, but there's so much more to him. Yes. Uh, and, and him quoting it here is like, yes, this is the perfect level of you quoting it. It's clearly in your heart. It, it means so much to you, but it's not your only defining trait. And then obviously the Batman kick up for the guillotine blew my mind when i saw it it is incredible because you think you've seen everything at this point this late in the show you're like we've seen batman throw punches behind him when people are walking up you know without even seeing them we've seen every batman takedown this was incredible (laughs) even in this episode the way he took out the people that are mind controlled was he had a device to disrupt it because of sound that's you know a really simple thing and so when you see this guillotine you're like How's he going to get out of this? Is going to blah, blah. And then he just full acrobatic athlete twists his body up to do it to the point where you're like, I could see a human body doing this that my body could absolutely not do. But if you're bad and you're that fit, you could. What a cool way of stopping a guillotine. It was, I mean, my massage therapist isn't going to believe this. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, uh, and little... then oh, then you had the Hatter over it, like pushing it down, making it even more just like visceral. I mean, that's the Hatter he forcing to... his way. He's a creep. <laughs> that's oh, uh. and the, f- uh, the he uses a guillotine. He could he could have taken off Batman's cowl, figured out who he was, and this is not just like the comics, like oh, why can't they tell Clark Kent Superman? This goes into his character. It's the that pride it's like, of that character to get Batman's cowl. I must chop off his head. Yes. Well, it's more fun this way. And it it everything about that checks out with with how his brain is. And at this point, you sort of have the in the first one, Batman wronged me in this first episode. Batman wronged me. How dare you mess up my date with this girl who definitely likes me? In the second one, by the way, that was sarcasm. In case it didn't read on the on the microphone. No, no, no. In the second, we know. In the second one, it was. I am being the bigger man by giving you whatever life you wanted just to stay out of mind because I'm such a good guy. And you still stop me from doing this. And now at this point, he's like, I'm cutting off Batman's head. That's the next step. I've tried. I've tried to be the bigger man, but obviously Batman won't let me be the bigger man. I was politely moving away to, to open a sunbonnet shop. So the only thing I could do is cut off his head. It's a it's a nice trajectory of how we, how we sort of progressed where – he wasn't a murderer initially. Incidentally, if these thugs jumped off the the bridge, so so be it. But now he's like, I'm willing to get my hands dirty because I'm so upset with Batman stopping me from living my dream again. Uh, ooh, it was d- great. And the fight pushing down the guillotine over his head was just—it's just visceral, fantastic. Uh, and then of course we have the classic Batman pushes something in a cape out. And tricks the villain. I feel like we we saw that in Mask of the Phantasm. We've seen it, I think, with a sawhorse. Uh, but, you know, it's a shooting the cape in the darkness. Turns out it's not Batman. Which if I also want to... Uh, well, it also won the spring-loaded gun from the hat. Where the uh, the craftsman was like, no, no, let the police deal with them. And then he did the classic coward sniveling, oh, thank you so much. Boom, gun spring in my hat. Classic hatter. I don't and know why the guy wanted to leave him to the police. Well, I think it's because these other men were they were they were gang members. Ruffians, yeah. They wanted to beat the crap out of him because that's what they do on the streets of Gotham. This man was a craftsman. He's an artist. He presumably was Love like war, let baby. the police do it. No. What surprised me though is even though it was a fake Batman that was coming out, in the cartoon, they still let the hatter full on point a realistic gun. Right at a figure that we believe to be Batman and just unload it. Yeah, we don't get to do that. No. Cartoons don't get to do that anymore. Absolutely not. He just unloaded that gun into it, and it was a fake. Oh, and yes, Batman's done this a lot of times. Well, but it works. It, it, it works, and it played off of all the other puppets that had, had come before. Uh, but, yeah, he just unloaded that gun into Batman. I couldn't believe it. It was wild. And then, of course, at the end, Bruce ends up paying for the doll maker to go home. And our final shot... Well, uh, before we get to that, the paying for the thing, why is he using com- – it was established that that $20 million was company money. Why is the company paying for him to go – Bruce, put that out of your purse. Oh, uh, I, I mean, I've never done this. I've never funded uh, a bat plane using company money before. <laughs> uh, this is the first time this has happened, and it was an accident. Should this, should this artisan have had a ticket paid back to him? Yes. He's not responsible for his own ticket. He's brainwashed. However, how are the shareholders going to feel? 
Bruce, use your own pocket money. To, just say you're using it. your own pocket money. Don't just let everyone know up front that, oh, wow, we found $11,990,000. Oh, no. Uh, some, we lost some in the hat store. I guess we lost some of the money in this briefcase. I think Bruce should have paid for that. I thought that was poor taste. Yeah, but in yeah, the end, it's he's the bad guy. I think he's the real bad guy. I'll be at the final shot. Oh, just that it, it ends with that, you know, your classic... The villain is being tormented by their own device. A little ironic punishment. Do you, the question I have about that, cool to see a Batman worry, though. Yes. Cool final shot. Yes. So I'm not going to argue in the sense that it's cool. And the real reason why that shot is there is because it's cool. Jervis Tetch would not put this under his pillow. No way. Is Arkham making him put it under his pillow? I think that's the only logical <laughs> conclusion. Is, is lockup? Is that one of his weird, his weird, his lockups? Is this where he's starting off his cruelty? Right, his this cruelty? is pre-lockup, so we see the character before he's turned into lockup, and he's, he's yeah, he's making sure that he's enforcing these sort of ironic, cruel punishments. Like, he, no, Hatter, you have to have the Batman one. In Please, no. Thing. Mm. We're going to say that it was lockup. <laughs> this seems to be, that, that actually is a, it, putting putting inmates in Arkham, while being mentally punished by Batman afterwards is another recurring theme. Uh, Riddler had it in yep. Riddler's Reform. Uh, who else do we have? Two-Face. Did Two-Face have one of those? I feel like he had. I mean, I feel like all of them have had at least a shot of like kind of like a high angle of them in a cell being tormented in yeah. some capacity. Oh, that's a bummer. I don't, you know what? I don't think Arkham's that good of a place yeah i think it might actually be kind of bad i think it might systemically be hurting the city of the city of gotham should we tell somebody about it i think that someone needs to let gotham to arkham know that it's somebody if anybody knows jeremiah arkham i don't think we should be funding it no it's a bad idea (laughs) Uh, i i did want to chat with you a little bit and see this show feels like a very influential show for both of us. For you, we both ended up writing an animation. Do you ever see it as an influence in your writing, even if it's either conscious or unconscious? Ha- has it kind of affected you in any capacity? I would say the things that impacted me uh, the most for it um, was its treatment of, of – of it was uh, – now it's a lot more common, but at the time – seeing villains with different layers to them was very novel to me as a kid. And so what I was used to seeing, you know, I watched old cartoons. You had the villains that were twirling the mustaches. They were categorically evil because they were evil. Uh, you know, you had the Shredder in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles who's just going to kill them. And this this was one of the first times that I ever saw villains trying to be given depth. Obviously, the you know Mr. Freeze episode is the, the gold standard for that. But even in cases like the hatter or in two-face or in you know Clayface, where you it, it allows you to have these these sad things with it but they're not just they're still the bad guys they're still doing things that they're not supposed to be doing um and that's i think is is, is fascinating and again something that i mentioned earlier with one of the reasons i love the hatter so much is it made me really appreciate scale um in comics i think one of the you know the biggest sins is that too many people have big, big scale things, uh, and this one, I, Batman, I think, 
has had a really good level of scale to it. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why it was good necessarily that it didn't like cross over with other heroes for I a suppose. while. Yeah, I mean, it, it was, yeah, because it would all feel samey. And I think that's what a lot of the older superhero stuff felt like. It was like different costume, different power, kind of same level of scale. But here you have like Rupert Thorns and you have even like lower level thugs than that. You have mob bosses and just crooks. And yeah. then you have costume criminals without any sort of supernatural power. But then you have mad scientists who turn into hulking bath creatures and shape-shifting monsters. Yeah. And uh, I d- like a like really good sort of set of scale. Like Two-Face, you get to see this like, oh, here's a man who was sort of broken. He got pushed to the edge. He wants revenge on a specific criminal. And then he's doing bank robberies, which is stuff we find in the real world. Then you have Rachel Ghoul who has, you know, the fountain of youth and this world thing. And it's like kind of Indiana Jones style scale of story too. And because you because you had Two Face, you could have Rachel Ghoul. If you had all Rachel Ghouls, now it doesn't fit right. Similar with Batman, um, in like the comics I remember, uh, I, I'm a fan of the Flash. And there was a an impulse. Um, there was one where he went against uh, the Riddler. And instead of doing the Riddler's puzzles, he basically was like, the Riddler was like, oh, there's a bomb hidden in the house, and he gave a puzzle. Impulse, having the Flash's super speed, uh, checked every single house and found the bomb immediately, not not doing the riddle. And it was meant to be a funny sort of thing. But that sort of, sort of shows what happened. If, if you mix these type of villains with super, super powers, especially when they get sort of off the rails, it gets sort of uneven and your suspension of disbelief has to be a little bit more different yeah you really have to find creative solutions uh which i think like the superman animated series especially in the beginning kind of did i remember there was one called double dose which was uh, a parasite episode and it was you know this kind of this guy i think earl garver was like some you know big time criminal he planted bombs around metropolis but then superman while taking him down accidentally knocks him out so he's comatose and the bomb is going to go off which is kind of a fun hook, so they have to bring the parasite in. I remember that episode. And then Garver ends up taking over the parasite's mind, and so it's just this other guy's personality inside of a super criminal, and there's still a ticking bomb, and Superman can't find it. It was, it was great, but it really feels like you... It seemed a lot harder to kind of raise the stakes with those kinds of bad guys. The parasite is also interesting, uh, because I think you can do that with super strong powers as long as you have an appropriate personality to match it mm-hmm. Superman the animated series did that with uh the parasite where the parasite has this amazing power but as a criminal mastermind he he was very short-sighted no and, he was a janitor he wanted cable tv i think in that episode that was that was his payment for doing this which and i love that's <laughs> a great way to balance thing uh sandman and spider-man i think is the same way where wow you can go to a men's size and change your forms but you want to rob jewelry stores because that's what you were. You were a small time crook. Yeah. So that's that's what I think is the important balance. And I think that it's it's easy to always want to up the scales and have the biggest, baddest guys and they'd be the smartest and be the coolest. And I think Batman had a really good uh balance of villains where different villains could have different things. And even the small touches like, you know, Penguin not going to Arkham. Right, he goes to Stonegate Penitentiary. Because he's not 
he, he's not criminally insane in the way that people are Arkham. And it'd be very easy to just be like, Arkham, that's where the supervillains go. But that, that small touch of like, no, the Penguin's different. The Penguin's crimes are not like the Joker's crimes. His rehabilitation needs to be different. And those small things are just, they're just fantastic. Another thing that I really like about Batman, um, sort of trends in TV, uh, right now TV is very serialized and, you know, one episode leads to another. There's arcs because of how we watch TV. Comics similarly have had this, you know, thing for a while where if you read a comic, its arc almost never ends. It's one arc that leads into another, that leads into another, and you have to have all these things. And on one hand, it's very refreshing. We've had this, or, or, or it's very fun to be rewarded. You've had this discussion with Justice League, uh, like Unlimited. Right, the Cadmus arc is very satisfying, but especially because they've built off of these episodic shows. Yeah. And you, it requires so much work to make sure you have all the pieces and then you're satisfied. But what's so great about Batman the Animated Series is that I can go down and I can watch an episode or a two-part episode, and I get the full story. I watch the Two-Face two-parter. I am satisfied. It's done with this thing. I get the full story, and it feels great. Uh, whereas Justice League Unlimited, which I also liked, I I, not, I didn't just walk one episode in the middle of the Cadmus arc. That doesn't make any sense. You have to watch the whole thing. Whereas this is a show that I can revisit, and it teaches you just like, little bite-sized movie how yeah how nice it is to have this thing where i go this is great the whole thing i got from beginning to end and when they reuse villains like the mad hatter um you didn't need to spend too much time explaining him he does mind control that's why we know he's doing this you didn't need to break out also for the people that watched the previous episodes great you you know you have a better understanding of the character but even without it you understood exactly what he was doing just, you know, with one or two lines. And I think there's something very satisfying about that with TV episodes where you just get the whole thing in one episode. You could revisit it. And I have. I've revisited just individual episodes of Batman or Superman animated series just because it's... It's powerful, It's and it's easy to put on. You know, I'll, I'll sometimes just uh, use a random number generator or, like, roll a die because I'm like, I don't know which one to pick. I like almost all of them. And then... Oh, okay, great. It's the worry man. <laughs> yeah, it's and it's it is there's it's very satisfying to be able to get the whole thing in one episode. It's it's refreshing. And it's, you know, not a time unlike a movie, you can do it in 20 minutes. I find that the, the it's just it's very nice to have. Well, I think that about wraps everything up. Yeah. Thanks for doing the show, man. Thank you. Yeah, this is I I haven't watched this in a long time, so I was I, this episode in a long time, so it was it was fun to have a reason to. And that was Alex Horeb. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Tell a friend. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at BTAS Podcast and me at Hey Justin. Batman the Animated Podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by me, Justin Michael. Tom Smith created the show logo, and Casey Trela helped produce the theme song. Harry Chaskin is the booming voice of this podcast. Thanks again to my guest, Alex Horeb. And an earnest thank you to the cops who put This American Life producer Tori Malatia behind bars for three to five after he broke into my house threatening. One, two, one, two, and through and through the vocal blade went snick-a-snack. He left it dead, and with its head, he went galooping back. Look, Tori, I believe we can mend our friendship, but I, I think we need some space, okay? Uh, in the meanwhile, see you in two weeks for a new episode. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.